All right, we've been working our way through the Old Testament. We're up to 1 Samuel chapter 21 today. At this time in our passage, David is running for his life from King Saul. And David is being chased by him as though he were a criminal. And yet David hasn't done anything wrong against King Saul. You know, nothing even close that would warrant this outrageous manhunt and the death threat that is put on uh, David here. So as we think about that, you know, what's going on when you're innocent and you haven't done anything wrong, but there are people around you that are treating you like you're guilty. And uh, you want to remember that Jesus was innocent too, right? And yet they treated him like he was a criminal, even died a criminal's death. So he died that way for you and me. He took our place because we were the criminals. You know, we broke God's law. We deserve to die that way. But because of his great love for us, God allowed his dear son Jesus to die for us so we could have the forgiveness for our sins and then be able to have fellowship with God for all eternity. So when we're in a place where we're innocent, but others are treating us like we're guilty, I think the Lord is letting us have a small taste, you know, of what Jesus went through for us. So if you're in that position, remember to thank the Lord, you know, that Jesus is willing to be in that place for you because that's how much he loves you. Now, we see a picture of Christ and David in that, you know, in that he was innocent, yet he's treated like a criminal. And we're going to get into our passage here because although David starts out good at this very beginning point, he fades very quickly. So he's not a picture of Christ all the way through, unfortunately, as we get into our study here. But uh, we do see that one, that he is innocent, treated as though he's a guilty criminal. So let's get into uh, 1 Samuel 21 and verse 1. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. And he said to him, why are you alone? And no one is with you. So here David, he starts out really good. Okay, The priest was at the tabernacle. So when David had this problem where he's running for his life, he goes to the tabernacle, which is a great thing to do. So that's a great lesson for us. You know, the tabernacle for them was the presence of God uh, to the Israelites. So when David went there, he was going to the presence of the Lord. And when we've got difficulties in our life, that's the best place for us to go to. We bring these problems straight to the Lord right off the bat. And that's the best thing we can do. You know, we would save so much time if we could remember that instead of going to prayer as a last resort, make it the first place, you know, instead of the last place to go. And you notice here that it says that Ahimelech, the priest, was afraid when he saw David. And it tells us why. You know, it says that, uh, why are you alone, is the question he asked him. So here's Ahimelech, and he knows David. He knows who he is. He, he knows he works for King Saul. He's, he knows he's a warrior. You know, he's well known there. So he's thinking he, doesn't, he shouldn't be traveling alone. He should have uh, bodyguards. He should have soldiers with him. There's something that's not right, he notices, because David is by himself. So that concerns him. It's like, what's going on? You know, he knows that, that things are just not right. And it also appears here that the priest has not heard about this latest manhunt that King Saul is on against David. Because nowhere in the passage does he say anything about, well, what are you going to do when Saul gets here? Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to turn you in or something. He doesn't bring that up at all. So apparently this is such a new thing that Saul is now after him that uh, even the priest here doesn't know about it. 
So at this point in, in David's situation, he has a choice. He can trust the Lord and tell the truth, or he can rely on his own way of thinking and tell a lie. And unfortunately, he makes the wrong choice. And remember, there are always consequences for sin. You know, the consequences may not show up right away, but sooner or later, they will show up. Because the Bible says, be sure that your sin will find you out. And in this particular sin that David was about to commit here by lying, it was going to have some extremely painful consequences later on. So we'll see that in the next chapter. It kind of shows up in a big way. But, but David here, we, we see something about him. He has this problem with trying to lie uh, when it comes to a need to protect himself. That's what he, he reverts to. We notice he did that with Jonathan before too, if you remember. Uh, he told Jonathan to, to tell a lie for him. And again, that was to try to protect him. So the Lord lets us see this about David. And he's not trying to put David down by showing us this. He's letting us see that he has this character flaw in him, this weakness in him. And God's going to be working on that to, to work that out of him. So the Lord shows us, you know, that, that we're sinners too. We have weak areas and God brings them up to the front at times that he might work on them with us too. Uh, when we see these things, that will, that's when we can confess them and, and we can turn from them. So uh, he's not making, trying to make David look bad. He's just showing us that he's a sinner and uh, he needs some help too from the Lord. You know, we're told in, uh, in Psalm 119, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. And then it says this, remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. So we may need to ask the Lord to remove from us the way of lying if that's something that plagues us too. And it may help us avoid some very painful circumstances down the road. That's what God's trying to do. He's trying to prevent us from, from really messing up with our lives and hurting ourselves and hurting other people too. So when the Lord brings these things up, don't get upset or discouraged. The Lord isn't trying to condemn you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to build you up, help you uh, get rid of this stuff as you trust him through it all. So go on to verse 2. So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me in some business. And he said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business in which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. So David says, I've got my men. They're, they're not here with me right now. That's why you don't see them. But I've got them off at this place here on the side. And I'm going to meet them later. He doesn't tell them even where it was. So David here was lying. You know, he was trying to let the, the priest believe that he was on this secret mission. And he was being sent by the king himself. You know, and this is one of those kind of secret missions that I can't tell you anything else about it or I would have to kill you kind of a thing, you know. So he doesn't give any details about anything. He just tries to make it sound like it's one of those deals. And he tells him, too, that he's going to meet his men later on. I think that part may be actually true because later on it appears that he does meet up with his guys. So he does have a little element of truth, but most of it is, is a lie and a deception there. So think about this. David was afraid, and he told that lie to try to protect himself. But he did have the choice to tell the truth and then just trust the Lord for the outcome. You know, he could have said, hey, I'm in trouble. I haven't done anything at all against the king. I'm just a servant to him. But he's outraged, and he's coming after me to kill me. So can you please help me out with some food and weapons, if you have any? 
because I really need help right now. Now, he doesn't do that, obviously. He tries to pull off this deception here, thinking that's what he needs to do. You know, some people, they believe that David here wasn't going to tell the priest anything because he didn't want the priest to get in trouble, you know, in case King Saul came and questioned him, that the priest could say, I really didn't know anything about it because David didn't tell him anything. But even then, David could have offered the truth and just left out any incriminating details. You know, lying is always the wrong thing to do. And uh, we really need to build that into us because we, we're, we're very quick to jump back in those ways of thinking I've got to defend myself however I can, even if I have to lie about it. So remember, when we're in a difficult situation and we decide to trust the Lord all the way through that, you know, we're going to tell the truth, we're going to trust the Lord, trust his word, trust his promises. If we do that, then what do we end up with on the other side of that? A testimony. But since David didn't do that here, he's not going to end up with a testimony, but with a tragedy instead. So uh, this is a very, very painful story as you go through this chapter and the next one with it. And uh, we're probably not going to have a chance to go to the next chapter today, but uh, we'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. But it's a very painful story when you see what happens because of, of these lies that he's telling here. Let's go on to verse 3. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? So he's asking the priest, I need some stuff here. He says, give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. So he knows that he needs food as he's on the run. And he's asking the, the priest to give him some bread for him and his men. Then in verse 4, the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. So the priest is going to do something here. He's going to give David this holy bread. And he's not doing anything wrong by doing this. This holy bread, if you remember when we studied this uh, further back in the Old Testament, this is the showbread. This was the bread the Lord told them exactly how to make it. He told them to make 12 loaves, exactly how to lay it on the table in the, in the most holy place, not in the holy of holies, but right outside the veil. And it was supposed to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was a picture that they were always in the presence of the Lord. So that's why that was there. And there's a lot more stuff with that too. But that's the holy bread he's talking about. And the Lord had them replace that every so often. So they would have those loaves sitting on that table before the Lord, and then they would bring the fresh ones in and take those out, and they would put the fresh ones in place. So the priest is telling him, that's the only bread we have here, and that, that bread was designated to be given to the priest to eat you know, after it, was, it finished its job there in front of the Lord. So the priests were allowed to eat that for their family. Now somebody pointed out, and you can check this if you want, but he said the Lord never said only the priest could have it. He said it is for the priest and the families, you know. So when he gives this to David, he's not uh, violating anything. And as someone has said too, uh, the priest was keeping the spirit of the law by what he was doing here, even though it was not the letter of the law. So he saw a need that David had. He was going to meet that need and give him the showbread, which was designated for the priest and the family, but he saw that he had a need, so he was going to give it to him. Okay, and it's just, like I said, he didn't do anything wrong. Even Jesus used this in the New Testament when his disciples were accused of picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath, you know. He asked the religious leaders, don't you remember the story that we're looking at right here? David ate the showbread, you know, it's like it was okay. So the point is that the spirit of the law is that the Lord 
wants to meet our needs, you know, and that's, that's more important than someone keeping a religious uh, letter of the law in that case. Now the priest, uh, you notice here, he wanted to make sure that David and his men were ceremonially clean because he said there in verse 4, if the young men, talking about all the guys that are with David, have at least kept themselves from women. So the priest hasn't seen anybody with David, but David said they're going to be there soon. So, you know, the priest is saying, well, you can have this, but you need to make sure that you guys are not defiled, that you are spiritually, you're ceremonially clean before the Lord. And uh, that's what he was trying to explain. Now, as he said, to keep themselves from women, he's referring to uh, not having relations with their wives on this time. Uh, the Lord described that earlier in the Old Testament, that it was considered a, a defilement. You had to be, be cleansed through that process and wait till the evening and go through the cleansing and everything. And we talked about that when we were going through that passage. So the, the, this is what he's saying. So we get something from this. There's a good principle here. Even though this bread was no longer on display before the Lord in the most holy place, it was to be still respected and honored. And that's why he's saying uh, you can have this bread, but it's, it's the holy bread. So you guys need to be ceremonially clean before the Lord, and, uh, and you can have it. So that tells us here that we need to respect and honor the things of the Lord at all times, not just when we're in church, you know. That could be a religious tendency for us to think, well, I've got to act spiritual now I'm in church. No, you need to be spiritual all the time, not act spiritual when you're in church. You're a believer, okay? So verse 5 goes on. Then David answered the priest, and he said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy. So these guys, are, uh, they've, they've not been with their wives or anything. And the bread, he said, is in effect common even though it was consecrated in the vessel that day. So David's trying to assure the priest here that everything was good, there's no need for worry, so uh, we can have the bread, there shouldn't be a problem at all. That's what he's trying to get across to the priest here. So verse 6, so the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So notice here, the Lord still refers to this as holy bread. So again, this signifies that it was okay for David, you know, to have his, his needs met for food, just like the disciples' needs were met when they uh, picked the grain and were eating it on the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus brought up. So we notice here, too, that David asked for bread, you know, but what he really needed was to trust in the bread of life. You know, the Lord had already told him that he was going to be the next king. So had he trusted the Lord in that, he could have rested in that truth from the Lord, you know, rather than having to revert to tell lies, as he thought, to maybe save his hide here. And uh, this is the thing, if, if David, I mean, if the Lord tells David, you're going to be the next king, he really doesn't have to worry about dying before that. <laughs> That's God's plan and God's purpose for his life, and he is safe in that, you know, so uh, he really doesn't have to worry here, although he does. It's just like Jesus told us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So we really don't need to worry if we just trust the Lord, because he's already promised to take care of us. He really does love us that much. So let's look at verse 7. It says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, 
Wouldn't you know it? Here's one of Saul's guys right there when David's talking to the priest. It says he was detained before the Lord. And it says his name, even it gives us his name, was Doeg. He was an Edomite. It says he was the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. So this guy was not an Israelite. He was an Edomite, okay, who happened to work for King Saul. And, and why he was, as it says here, detained before the Lord, we're not sure. It doesn't give us any more details. But what we can see from this guy's character later on in the story, it doesn't appear that he was really doing anything super spiritual here by being in the tabernacle and doing whatever thing he was doing in that area. So my guess is that he, wasn't, he was just trying to fulfill maybe some religious duty, either for his job or something, or maybe he was trying to earn some uh, points with the king, you know, by saying, hey, I was at the tabernacle, I went through this, and trying to influence him, you know, maybe move up the ladder some. You know, when we see somebody like a politician start to sound spiritual when that's not their normal character, we get kind of suspicious about that too. So it makes you wonder when you see this guy in the tabernacle doing his thing, what, what's up with that, you know? So uh, it just tells us in the background, because this is going to come up later in the story. Uh, verse 8, though. David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me. And here's why. Because the king's business required haste. So he said, I had to leave so fast, I couldn't even grab my, my equipment. I didn't bring my sword. I didn't bring nothing with me. <laughs> Can you, you got anything here I could use? You know, I don't know what this priest is actually thinking, but he's got a lot of red flags going off here. You know, David's alone. He doesn't have any weapons. There's no bodyguards. Uh, it sure looks pretty strange, you know, and, and David's trying. He must be pretty, pretty good at these storytelling things, so the guy's going to try to help him out. So here, uh, David's being deceptive, too. There is some truth in it. He said the king's business was actually, to, since it was actually uh, to hunt down David is what was really going on. He didn't tell the guy that, but it did require haste on David's part. <laughs> if the king's coming after me, I need to do something fast. I need to get out of Dodge. So uh, there was some haste to that. He, he was accurate. He just wasn't uh, truthful in the whole thing. So verse 9, so the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, uh, take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. So that's the only thing we got here that's a weapon. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So here's David. He sounds rather pleased and excited, you know, to get that particular sword. But there are a few things to consider with this deal. For one, could it be possible that the Lord was trying to speak through the priest here to David? to remind him of his battle against Goliath the giant. Do you remember what David was doing when I went out to fight him? He had great faith, and he was trusting in the God of Israel to give him the victory. So could it be that the Lord was trying to say to David through this priest and reminding him, it's Goliath, the one you killed, you know? <laughs> could he have been saying, David, you trusted me to defeat the giant, that no one else could stand up to. And you can trust me to bring you through this dangerous time as well. When we're in a scary situation, 
you know, what it seems like we're way over our head and we're in really tr- a lot of trouble. And we're tempted to trust in our own sinful ways of dealing with things rather than trust in the Lord's pure and truthful ways of doing things, you know. We need to be alert and see if maybe the Lord is trying to speak to us through people or through memories in order to encourage us to trust him completely in those situations. Another thing to consider here, did you notice where the sword was at when he said, Will it got this one? It, it's right there. He said it was behind the ephod. The ephod was what held the Urim and the Thummim, and that was what the priest would use to uh, seek and to determine the will of God. So could the Lord have been trying to speak to David through that? You know, <laughs> this amazes me how much the Lord's going through, I think, to try to, to help David out here. The Lord might have been trying to say to David, seek me for answers. I mean, here's an ephod right here. All you got to do is ask the priest, would you please seek the Lord? I mean, it's, it's probably within an arm's distance away from him almost, and, and he's not doing that. But, but could he have been saying, David, seek me for answers, and I'll tell you the best way to go and the best way to do things. You know, I, I love what Mary, the mother of Jesus, told the servants at the wedding feast in Cana. When they had a problem at that time, she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Those are some of the greatest words this world is ever going to hear. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. So when we're having trouble and we're tempted to trust in doing things our own way, the Lord may even be trying to talk to us in multiple ways to get our attention. And, you know, may we be alert enough to notice when he does that. You know, David missed these opportunities. I think that the Lord was here and here. You know, he's doing different things, and and David missed that. And another thing here, too, David said when he saw this, there isn't any other sword like this one. You know, but it depends on how you look at it. (laughs) That sword was part of the world. It was used by a pagan to intimidate God's people. And there were many other swords in that category. So David has decided here to trust in a very worldly thing. And that's something we got to be very, very careful not to do. You know, since we're used to the ways of the world, we were born in sin. We all have a sin nature. It's very natural and very easy for us, you know, to revert to the things of the world. And there are many worldly swords for us to turn to as well. There are things that look helpful on the outside, you know, but when it comes to really following the Lord, there aren't much help at all. And so we need to be careful. We need to check ourselves when we are looking for help. Make sure it's something that glorifies the Lord. You know, I like what somebody said. David was satisfied with the sword of Goliath, but he should have been asking for the sword of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit. That's what he should have been asking for. That's the word of God. When you're reaching for a sword, make sure you're reaching for the right one, the sword of the Spirit. You can never go wrong with the sword of the Spirit that you have. You know, if that's what you got, you got the best sword around. And then one more thing here, too. The priest said, he said, there's, there's no other weapon here, there's no other sword here except that one. He didn't understand about the sword of the Spirit. That's kind of a New Testament teaching the Lord brought out very clearly here. 
But the sword of the Spirit was there too. <laughs> he just didn't know what it was at that at the time. So if you think about this, the sword of the Spirit is always there. Uh, the enemies tried to take the Bible out of the of history of man for a long time, and it'll never happen. It's the word of God. He protects it. The sword of the Spirit is always there. Verse 10 goes on. Then David arose, and he fled that day from before Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. So here was David. He's armed with the wrong sword, and he ends up making a very wrong turn with it. Uh, look at verse 11 here. And the servants of Achish, this is the king of Gath, said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart, because he heard everything they just said, and he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So this place that he went to is a place of the Philistines, okay? And talk about taking a wrong turn. And he intentionally did this. He had a plan, I guess. He thought, I'm going to get some help here. But here's what he did, just to, to clarify what, what's going on. David has Goliath's sword, whom he killed, and he goes to Gath, which is the very place where Goliath was from. And then when he gets there, he finds out they're playing his song about killing 10,000 of their, of their countrymen. And they're even calling him the king of Israel. So there's nothing good about this picture at all for David, okay? No wonder it said he was very much afraid. So you want to ask him at this point, David, what were you thinking, you know? One of my granddaughters heard me say that a while back and had to repeat it. What were you thinking? You know, <laughs> I kind of blurted it out. I guess it was dramatic enough when I said it that she caught on to that and thought that was really cool, so she had to say it too. But man, you want to ask David, what were you thinking? Man, why in the world would you go here? This is like the worst place on earth you could go. And you're thinking in your sinful mind, not trusting the Lord, you're thinking this is a good idea. You know, believe it or not, but we're trusting in ourselves and we're trusting in the ways of the world rather than the ways of God, it really shouldn't be any kind of surprise when we do something really foolish. You know, we can get ourselves in a very scary spot and we have no one to blame other than ourselves. So that's where David's at at this point. So you know when you're really messed up? <laughs> when you go into your enemy's land and think somehow that they're going to help you. <laughs> And that's the same as us trying to go to our enemy, you know, the devil, and think that he's going to encourage us somehow. Yes, that's when you know you're really messed up, and that's where David is at at this point. So David arrives at this spot, and I was thinking, you know, for you Twilight Zone fans, this would make a great Twilight episode, you know, Twilight Zone episode, waking up and finding out that with all the decisions you've made, you're in way over your head, and there's no possible way, humanly speaking, to get out from this mess that you created. So this is an amazing place that he's found himself in. Did you notice here that the Philistines called David a king? And you heard it. You heard him say that. So again, I'm wondering, do you think it's possible the Lord was trying to speak to him through these guys too to get the words here to David that, you know, the Lord can use anything to get our attention. 
So don't be surprised, you know, if, too surprised if the Lord uses the radio or the TV or, or maybe even Facebook, you know, oh my Lord, to, uh, to get our attention. So uh, the Lord, he tries to speak to us, I believe, and he tries to help us when we really messed ourselves up. So verse 13 is a really interesting verse here. It says, so he changed his behavior. So this is David, who's very much afraid. It says he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands. So he's acting like he's insane. And here's what he did. He was scratching on the doors of the gate, and that, that could mean that he was kind of like scribbling on him, like he's writing something, you know, and there's nothing there he's writing on. He's just doing those motions. And it even, he even let the saliva fall down on his beard, which they would never do back then. I mean, that's, that's, that means you're really messed up if that's going on. So he, he goes through this thing here, and it says he, he changed his behavior. Something very interesting happened in David's heart at this point. David actually wrote Psalm 56 about this episode in his life. So I want you to look at Psalm 56 because it, it lets us know somewhat about what's going through David's mind as he's in this place and he sees no way out. But he does find there is one way out, and it's the Lord. So Psalm 56, if you want to take a look there, it says, uh, To the chief musicians set to the silent dove in distant lands, a mitchtum of David, and notice what it says, when the Philistines captured him in Gath. So this is, this is right what was going on in his mind when this was happening. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me almost high. And he's got King Saul coming after him, you know. So where is he going to turn? I mean, he's feeling trapped. And notice verse 3. This is extremely important. Whenever I am afraid, it doesn't say I'm going to revert to my own thinking. I'm going to lie if I have to or anything like that. What does it say? Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Wow. It's a great moment in life when we get to that point to realize our help is not in us. It's not in any scheme we come up with or plan we have or what we think would work best. It's what does, what does the Lord say? And I can trust in him. It goes on there. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? So he finally looked up, you know, all day they twist my words, all their thoughts are against me for evil, they gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie and wait for my life, shall they escape by iniquity? In anger cast down the peoples, O God. So he's calling on the Lord to deal with these folks. He says, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know. And here's why. Because God is for me. God is for you too. You know, you don't have to revert to your ways. God loves you. He's watching over you. He'll take care of you. It says, in God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. He's continually going back to the Lord to praise him. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? So he's basically saying, you know, I, I know you saved my life for all eternity. Why can I not trust you to walk in this life? You know? So 
that's what was going on. That's why we, we see David have a real change take place here. So uh, that psalm lets us know what was going through his mind and his heart. He was turning back to the Lord. He was turning back to trust in God. So we need to learn from this. You know, Even when we find ourselves in a giant mess of our own doing, we can and should return to trusting in the Lord. And it's still possible to do that even today. If that's where you're at right now, the Lord probably brought you here today to let you in on that special truth from him. So this behavior of David would have been really disgusting to those who saw him with the saliva and everything going on. But for David to do this, think about it from his perspective, it would have been very humbling for him. And remember, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And by humbling himself here, you know, and trusting the Lord, David found tremendous grace and deliverance. God rescued him out of that. Somebody said, there's a major difference between King Saul and David. When David found himself going down the wrong road, he turned around. But King Saul just kept going. Wow. Verse 14 goes on back in our passage in 1 Samuel 21. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So the Lord worked on King Achish's heart. He didn't want anything to do with David. He was like, get him out of here. This guy's crazy. And of course, that's what David wanted. He wanted a way of escape. And the Lord made that for him. So look at the way the Lord turned things around for David once he started trusting in the Lord again. You know, some have said they think that the Lord probably put this idea into David's mind. It doesn't tell us why. David may not even know why this idea popped in his head. I'm just going to act like I'm insane. That's all I know to do here. So maybe they won't kill me, you know. But it's very possible the Lord is the one who put that in his mind to get him out of that. Because what other choice would you think would come up whether he'd be able to get out of there, you know. So anyway, I thought it was funny if that's true. It's kind of like the Lord was saying, you know, you're acting kind of insane, David, to come here in the first place carrying Goliath's sword with you. That doesn't make a lot of sense, buddy. So why don't you just keep going with that insane thing, you know? And I'm actually going to use that to rescue you from it all. And it appears that that might be what the Lord did. Now, there's one other psalm that David wrote about this event. And, uh, and I think it'll be very helpful if you want to look at Psalm 34. That's the cool thing with David, you know, um, if we just had the events of his life, we may not understand everything going on inside of him, but praise the Lord, he used him to write psalms, and uh, that, that helps us to see God working in his life and how at times when he's going the wrong direction, he comes back to the Lord. So Psalm 34, it starts out, a psalm of David, <coughs> excuse me, a psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Boy, after the Lord rescues us from a situation, that's just the way we feel, isn't it? My soul shall make his boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. 
And then look at these reminders that, that David puts in here too. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him. We're never alone, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Man, he's talking to himself, isn't he? He's been there. He tried these things. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. So we're never alone. We don't have, we're never at a point where someone is not listening. The Lord is always listening to us. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. He hears your prayers. Like I said this morning, we're singing that song, Humble us, Holy Spirit, and he did. He comes and allows the guitar to fall apart, so we gotta stop everything and, and go through that. Pretty humbling. So the righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. How many troubles? All their troubles, right? The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. And that contrite means they've been crushed. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. How many, how many afflictions do we have? Many of them. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. <clears throat> so we got a great future with the Lord. Those who don't know him, unfortunately, do not. <clears throat> the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. And this is David after being rescued from a horrible situation where it looked like the end of his days right there, but the Lord was not finished with him. So uh, we, we get some good lessons today about trusting the Lord, doing things his way, and, and not doing things our way. Like I said, next time we'll get a chance to dig further into the next chapter. We got a little shorter study today. My, uh, my uh, cold is working on me some there, so I'm not going to go any further on that.